We lost a very special and very important member of our Campbell family last week when former Campbell men's basketball and golf coach and color analyst on our men's basketball broadcast, Jerry Smith, passed away. Smith was the head basketball coach for Campbell from 1983 to 85 and from 81 to 83, the head men's golf coach. Smith devoted his entire professional career to educating youth in eastern North Carolina on the high school and collegiate level. A Campbell alum, Smith won a state title coaching Bertie County in 1971. He won a couple more titles at the collegiate level with Chowan before coming back to Campbell. After Campbell, he was the principal at Lewisburg, Green Central, and Clayton High Schools. The basketball court at Clayton is named in his honor. He was also awarded the state's highest civilian honor, the Order of the Longleaf Pine, for his dedication to education in 2008. Jerry Smith was a kind, caring, hardworking man who loved teaching and loved Campbell. The best story I have to represent this is when we first were on the air together. Jerry had been the color analyst for Campbell men's basketball for two years before I started here at Campbell in 2011. I asked if he would stay on and do the games with me, and he agreed. No one knew more about Campbell basketball, literally. At that time, Coach probably went to over 50% of the practices that Campbell men's basketball had. Not only did Coach do every home game on the air with me, if we were anywhere, and I mean anywhere, under a five-hour drive away for a road contest, he would be there. Because he did not want to be away from Bowie's Creek or his wife for an entire night, Jerry, usually with Ronald, his friend riding shotgun, would drive day of to be on the air with me for the game. Whether Charleston or Clinton, South Carolina, or Ranford, Virginia, whether the game was at noon or 7, he would go up and back. An unbelievable amount of dedication. A couple of months into the season, I asked Coach how much did he get paid for the broadcasts and everything he did. I wanted to get the payment process started, and he told me he did not get paid for the previous two years he was on the air, that it was volunteer. I made sure he did get paid from then on, and was lucky enough to have him by my side for nearly every broadcast through 2019. On the broadcast, he was always positive, never negative, able to put a Campbell spin on it, and he had a basketball knowledge that is unmatched. On GoCampbells.com, there is a great article about him with a podcast Stan Cole did with him back in 2022. He is also one of the many stars and voices on the Campbell Basketball School documentary we debuted last fall. A link to that film is in the article as well. Count Me is one of the many, many people whose life was made better by Jerry Smith. I thank him for all he has done for me and Campbell, and I will miss him dearly. Hello, everybody, and welcome into Camel Call with Evan Budrovich. I'm Chris Haymeyer. Thank you so much for giving us a listen. And, Evan, I talked a lot um, on air last week and uh, at the beginning of this show about Jerry Smith, but probably next to me, you worked on the air with him the the, the next most. What are, what are some of your uh, memories of the coach? Jerry had the most firm handshake I'd ever met for, <laughs> for any age, right, 20s, 30s, in his case, as his life continued. He also had the biggest smile on his face. Yeah. Like it could be a 30 point blowout 
or it could be the best game in the world. And Coach was so happy to sit at that desk and, and just give his thoughts on the game. And, you know, getting to know him better living at Keith Hills. So he would drive in his golf cart with his dog every evening at Keith Hills. And we used to go to the range a lot pre-COVID. So I'd see him there a couple of days a week at the range. And, you know, of course, his grandkids played golf and the McLam family kind of made their way through with Brett McLam and that relationship there. But to see him kind of as a grandpa and a dad, but then also like he was the basketball coach's best friend. You know, yeah. Kevin would come to him after practice and they would chat. Coach was the first guy I worked with as an analyst here at Campbell. And, you know, Jerry, like he had his fun one-liners and he had a Southern twang to him, but he was a really smart guy and he knew basketball. And he also knew kind of what buttons to press, like when he was on, as a commentator, you know, hey, do I get on this person? Do I compliment this person? And Coach was honest, you know, right? And that's what we ask of our people. And then just as a human being, he loved Campbell. He, he was at every Campbell thing, even until his final days. And, and it's a shame that he passed, but I am glad that we're honoring him. There's a big event this weekend for yeah. him and a nice way to wrap up his life. Yeah, yeah, and you make a good comment. If he wasn't at a basketball game or in a basketball gym when he had quote-unquote retired, he was he was golfing um, or always around uh, that golf cart w- with his with his dogs. Uh, he will be missed, a, uh, a special, special man. We will talk about his favorite sport, uh, both of their favorite sports, basketball and golf, coming up a little later, but our Campbell wrestling team, look, they've been good for a while. We've said that. It's been a half decade of a, of a team that's been like they are right now, ranked 26th and 27th in the poll. But something that I have never seen before in the history of Campbell wrestling, it took place last Friday. What an amazing environment. It set an attendance record for Campbell wrestling. It was last Friday. Campbell took on App State in front of the largest crowd in Campbell history. It was an amazing atmosphere in Gore Arena. I had never seen a champion be lifted up in the air. And the way Tay Gaudiali won that last <laughs> event, like typically in wrestling, you know, you clap your hands, you get your, your hands are in the there air. There was a mat storm, much but like a court and a field storm. And then they team, lifted him team. up, which is not a, which is not a uh, easy like cross team. Like imagine <laughs> you just ran a marathon yeah. and have you on your shoulders. And that's the Herculean effort it took winning those last yeah. two bouts, even to get to Tay, to have a chance to then whoever won that final heavyweight, and it was fun too with the, the coverage of Flow Sports, some of the or sorry of UFC Fight Pass, some of the trash talk between Tay Whoa, and the App yeah. State program, yeah. and then for Tay to go in there and take care of business in that first round, like it, it was a quick pin. That that was impressive on his part because he's a top ten wrestler in the country. Yeah, and to back it up and with the team on the line, you're basically fighting for your SoCon chances. If you lose to App, you're probably not winning the regular season title. Yeah, it's those two. And you have Chattanooga coming up in February in a couple weeks. But you basically you win that match, and you can run the table. So for him to do it and then win that final heavyweight match, that was neat television. It was amazing and dramatic how it happened. Campbell came out, again, with some of the biggest energy I've seen, period. Not just Campbell wrestling, but but amazing for that. Come back, get the first, get the first one. Campbell got the first one in uh, in Tech Fall fashion. Got the first match, and then it was five straight matches that App won. They didn't get a lot of bonus points in it, so Campbell was still in it. But Campbell knew that they had to win the final four matches and get some bonus points, and they did just that. Campbell won the final four matches. Austin Murphy got a win. Caleb Hopkins with a pin, which was huge. His brother Levi Hopkins got a win, and then Tay came in. He had to win the match. He didn't have to get bonus points, but he had to win the match. It was still on the line, and he got a pin, 
in the first period, it was just electric. And there was literally a mat storm when it came out. What I love too, it was a student involvement thing. Yes, like a was, lot of the student, student athletes, athletes were there too. It was yep. students. People were, and we've talked about this amongst ourselves. We have asked, what will it take for a fan base to truly be on their feet every second of a match, a game, whatever sport it is? And in that atmosphere, especially with the television of UFC, there were people constantly making noise, constantly cheering. Yeah. Even when things were going bad, they were staying invested. They were having the signs. That type of atmosphere you can package and repurpose. Now, it starts with the student-athletes having those relationships and reaching out. But it's a great lesson for everyone involved here. When Gore Arena has loud noise and atmosphere, yep. we've seen it with Chris Clemens in basketball, it is an electric elite mid-major facility and that's how it played for wrestling yeah it was a it was fantastic then Campbell came back uh, in less dramatic fashion blew out Gardner Webb so Campbell wrestling on a roll six dual win streak what do you think of this new north-south barbecue bowl by the way Gardner Webb and Charles <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of Gardner Webb you're going to big south football now I didn't think we'd be We'd be talking about that. So they left yeah, us, yeah. East West barbecue. Yeah, tilted the axis. Yeah, north and south. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a barbecue. They can do South Carolina and North Carolina barbecue if you want to. Hopefully, we'll get Gardner Webb back in here for some different things. Again, we're such similar schools, but yeah, they they left our barbecue bowl to go to another one. Um, wrestling. Speaking of barbecue, on a roll, nine and three overall, three and zero oh in conference. And as we said, even though they have four more, I think conference duels. It's been App and Campbell one and two for the last half decade. Last year, App broke Campbell's regular season streak, also uh, beat him in the tournament. So so it's good that Campbell has the one trophy. And then they'll have to go up to Boone for the conference tournament again. And don't sleep on Bellerman. I know the big news of Bellerman is they got robbed of an NCAA berth because of the D2, D1 matriculation rules. They're 4-0 in the league. Yeah. Now, they haven't played the best programs, and that'll be coming up, but you can't just go into Kentucky and think you're going to get some bourbon and get out of there. Like, yeah. you got to go in there and compete. Now, they have the Citadel this weekend. That's always a feisty, you know, with the military schools, there's just a feisty mentality to that. But man, the way they dominated Gardner Webb, I, I don't think Scotty's going to let him take this lightly. Yeah, that Bellarmine matches all the way in Kentucky on Sunday, and they've got to play at home. They'll be in Carter Gym. You should go just to see wrestling in that atmosphere, and two earmuffs. Yeah, and two Carter Gym. If you didn't know before, Gore Arena it was one of the smallest uh, basketball venues in the country. That's where Campbell played. So it's neat to go in there, look around, and be like, I can't believe they played basketball here. 16 years ago, but it's fun for, for wrestling. And when they were getting this program going, they had all their home matches over there because, you know, uh, uh, the 200 people feel like a lot more. It's free. It's at 7 o'clock um, coming up in Carter Gym versus the Citadel this Friday. And then a week from Saturday, final home match, back in Gore Arena, 2 p.m. versus Chattanooga, which is the other, quote-unquote, top-tier teams in the conference. CAA doesn't have wrestling, neither did Big South, so they're in the Southern Conference. That, so Chattanooga, they've come into Bowie's Creek and robbed Campbell of a title. This was true pre-COVID now, so three or four years ago. But their programs dipped a touch, but th them and App State are still will have individual champions, and that's how you win the conference, of course, getting the most team points. So, yeah, that February 17th, I would circle that if you're a Campbell fan because that you could literally clinch. You wouldn't outright clinch, but you would essentially clinch the title that day. And you had mentioned he was he was the big hero and, again, is backing up what he says. Only three losses on the year. Uh, Campbell's heavyweight, Tay Gadi Ali, is ranked kind of in the top ten, around the top ten. Campbell is looking right now with six ranked wrestlers. If things go right, they could again, which they have done this for the last half decade, year in and year out, send six individuals to the NCAA tournament. 
What they haven't done, except uh, only one time, is the fact that they have uh, put someone on the podium. You get in, in the top eight, you're an All-American at Nationals, and boy, Tay Gaudi barring some injury or something odd happen, if he can stay in the top ten, he'll be on the right side of the bracket, and Campbell has a chance to do something that they've only done once, which would put the cherry on the top of what has been an amazing year, where they've been on UFC Fight Pass four different times now. I mean, that's just and insane. They announced a five-year extension yeah. of that media rights deal. Yeah. Now other schools will be involved, but to have Campbell as kind of the, the, the pin, the figurehead of that, yeah. that's been great exposure. Yeah, and, and and I mean, it was it was Scotty Sintez, and he'll tell the story that, that UFC people were, were poking around the NCAA tournament a couple years ago. Most people at the bigger schools were like, hey, we're trying to win a national championship here. We don't want to talk to you. We have media rights to you. Scotty was trying to do the same thing. He talked to him, and he has kind of pulled this thing out of thin air, and it's become a, it's become a national thing. And the exposure, you, I mean, you, you can't even put a, a dollar amount, but a lot of credit to Scotty, who has always thought outside of the box. When he was coaching in California, they had one of the first uh, outside wrestling matches and he and he continues to do it and he has one of his best teams ever so it'll be fun to watch them keep on chugging speaking of keep on chugging setting records and different things our our track and field team what has been amazing here in this run is okay you're in the CAA great conference for track well the CAA championships for indoor they're February 22nd and 23rd in New York City that all is amazing but a couple of weekends ago at the Campbell Invitational Winston-Salem and in Clemson, Campbell not only, which they seem to do every single meet, personal records, school records, they broke three CAA records. So to come into the conference, your first month in the conference lately, and bring down uh, CAA records is is just incredible. A CAA record in the women's 60 by Jaden Ramsey, a CAA record in the women's 200, Brianna Clayton, and a men's 200 CAA record in the 200 meters by Dom Alexander. Of course, a couple of names on there are new. Dom Alexander has been doing this, but to come into a conference and set conference records, just incredible. They have a shot of bringing home some some hardware at CAA championships. The way the CAA is structured, now the Big South was a little different. Some teams could bring 85 athletes and rack up points in all these competitions. It would make it Nearly impossible for Campbell. That is not as much the case in the CAA. Right. So when you think big picture, you want your individual titles in your 60 meter, your long jump, your high jump, all those events. But you also want to have top threes, get two or three best, get the podium finishes. That point structure in this league, and remember Jeff Claves, friend of the program, he's at UNC Wilmington, so <laughs> yeah. there could be some fun there. This league is more open to if your competitors are elite at a high level, you can earn enough points to win the conference, and that's always been Campbell's bugaboo on the men's side, is the amount of competitors that High Point has. And their women's program, like you've mentioned, has made huge strides. We talk Chastity Pickett a lot in her Olympic aspirations, but the, it's a depth of a program. And, man, when, when they compete in New York and then the national championships indoor in Greensboro, that, that could be a huge month for Campbell track and field. I'm telling you, it is uh, it is. It is exciting to see what they do again. You're like, okay, you're leveling up here. What have you done? And they are, and they are crushing. And they do the most with less, not just in terms of facilities, but scholarship allotments. You know, some of the disadvantages they have compared to their peers in the league, they've outperformed it. And thanks to their grit, thanks to coaching, thanks to culture. But that's always been a program that's done more with less, and that's why I always give them credit. Much like swimming, they don't have the fancy gizmos and gadgets that other programs do. 
and they find ways to produce champions in their conference and then regionally as well. The gizmos and gadgets. It just puts you it just puts you ahead. It just puts you ahead. Hey, going on to the golf courses, a great finish. This is a this is a men's team. Matt has had to rebuild this this men's team, and uh, they finished eighth in a packed field down at a rain short and uh, Briar Creek Invitational, hosted hosted by the College of Charleston. They will be in Raleigh. We'll get a chance to see them at the Wolfpack Invite on that February twenty fourth and twenty fifth. Tracked and and it's fun. Like it's it's free to go up there if you've never seen. If you've never seen a high-level golf tournament live, you know, you watch it on TV and you're like, these guys are good. And and look, these guys aren't pros. They, they sometimes hit shots like you do on the collegiate level. But man, it's awesome to see these guys play golf up close. Seeing the, the driving ability, yeah. right? So off the tee box, and they hit it 350 consistently. And I'll give John Crooks credit. Matt Mood obviously runs the men's program. Crooks is like the archangel who oversees both programs. Archangel. He is. He's had 30-plus <laughs> years managing both programs. But Coach Crooks has always recruited players that swing well off the tee box. Our women's program traditionally outdrives many Power 5 programs. Even on the men's side, we've had some powerful, yes, for Svensson. You think of some of the other Swedes we've had. Uh, Pontus Nyholm, who's now competing for a possible tour card next year in the PGA. Yep. In this tournament, too, they showed they beat Nebraska, UNCW, obviously a league foe, Boston College, and Virginia Tech. So that slates up really well in the ACC. Now, NC State is an elite program. That's going to be a hard tournament to win. But in golf, the, the point structure is different. Okay, your RPI is X. If you finish seventh, but teams with higher RPI finish below you, you get a ton of points. So it's really about where you finish and who finishes around you. Yeah, and it's uh, the women's turn as they will go out. You know, they consistently conference champions. They're like Tom Brady. They, they have a handful of rings. It's it, it's unbelievable. February 12th and, and February 13th, they'll be down in Jacksonville, Florida at the Seabest Intercollegiate. Our uh, tennis teams got their first wins over uh, last weekend as they start rounding into shape in the spring. Um, check their schedules at gocamels.com. Free to go out there and see them. Uh, they're playing, gosh, you want to talk about pack schedules two, three, four times a week usually. They have a lot of home matches. Sometimes the men and women play at the same time, it's a it's a whole lot of fun to be out there, and the orange smoke on Sunday. I yeah, the run out that, that was, was really neat. cool. You know, because tennis, was you build your own atmosphere yep. a little bit with student support and the the cheering of the players on different courts. That that's a neat vibe if you want a few yeah. hours of fun. Yeah, no doubt. We told you about uh, all the stuff uh, going on um, this weekend. We mentioned wrestling on Friday, also Friday here at home. Um, the Campbell women's basketball team gets back after it now. Campbell women's basketball, 11-9 overall, and and there are four and five in the conference, but they're right in the middle of the conference, just two games out of fourth place. Fourth place is, we're going to be talking a lot about that now because that's the magic we're not number in the CAA. in the Flint Tropics, that's but we right. are playing for fourth place. That's right. Not playing for fourth place, but if you get into fourth place, you get a double bye and a 14-team on both the men's and women's side for the CAA tournament. You want to definitely stay out of 10 through 14, which you would have to play on the first day if you're in the middle there. You, know you get a bottom. About that. If you're in the bottom four, you have to win five games in five days. Yeah. Which, even in the college baseball schedule, is ridiculous. And then the, the running and gunning of basketball, we've talked about the three and three, win three games in three days on the men's side. Yeah. But now in this conference, it's five games if you well, I mean, four. And, and we've talked about this before. You, you and I both like that because in a one-bid league, which the CAA, again, striving on both the men's and women's side to, to not be there. And they've been close to last year. They probably, if Charleston wouldn't have won, they, they might have gotten two teams in. But 
in a one-bid league. You play so many games in the conference season. It's almost, what are we doing this for if you don't really protect the people at the top? I like the fact that the double buy, the middle gets a buy. And look, you have an advantage if you're in the top four. There's a big difference, as we've seen Campbell when they've made these runs to the conference tournament finals in, in the men's side of basketball. You can win three games in three days. That's tough. Four games in four days is really tough. And last year, for some perspective, the men's final, one through four, all made the semis. Obviously, Charleston held off Wilmington. They won at one versus three. The women's side, it was the seven seed Monmouth, who went to Towson and beat Towson on its home yeah. court. This year, we've seen Stony Brook be really good, 8-1, and both have come here, A&T, at 8-1, two quality programs. But the way Campbell's played both those teams, this is not juggernauts and has-beens. Yeah. Any team could beat anybody on the women's side. And in a 4-5 and five record, they've had two losses with double-digit leads in the second yeah. half. Right, and, and you can say, well, well, you deserve to lose that game because you didn't finish it. They're playing a team that's ascending, and the way their schedule plays out, they have a chance to get right back above 500 here pretty quick. Yeah, and, and Campbell just a, a couple games out of the uh, of the top four. Again, you know, it's it's not going to be easy, but but they have beaten some of the best teams in the conference, which gives you um, a, a lot of hope for what's coming up, and they'll be at home this Friday at 7 o'clock. The men are back for a Thursday-Saturday, a couple of home games back-to-back. Back. It starts 7 o'clock on Thursday. It'll be on Flow Hoops. We'll have a it on Flow Hoops for you. We'll also have live audio for you. Sort of a similar situation for um, what the men are doing and what they're faced with. Look, this was a men's team that was picked to finish 12th out of 14th at the beginning of the year. The computer projections had them maybe winning four conference games this year. Right now, Campbell is 5-5. Five and five. 500 more than halfway through they are tied for seventh place in the conference right now two games out of like we said the top four and I'll tell you what in a loss it was probably the best that I've felt at a Campbell basketball's loss ever because UNCW who had beaten Charleston twice who is a favorite to win this conference well on paper was a 20 point favorite yeah like that that's not a that's a that's a power five versus a mid-major line and that's in your conference yeah it was a packed house. 5,100 were in there. They had just come off a win for Charleston. They were ready to go. Campbell, it was unfair that Campbell lost that game. And the reason that I say that was UNCW played well. Campbell played better. And on the final two field goals that UNCW made in that game, both with under a minute and a half left, they were both at the end of the shot clock. One banked in from the free throw line. The other one was a fadeaway I saw LeBron, LeBron type shot to beat the shot clock from a guy that doesn't shoot more than two feet from the basket that he made. Again, not saying anything about a lot of the other stuff that happened in there, but it was unfair for a Campbell team that really could have come out of there with a win. They didn't, but they're in perfect position there too. Definitely stay out of the bottle bottom four. But but Evan, they have proven something to me. The one thing that was missing from what they've done in the CAA, it's like, look, they they took on the two tough teams, the two top teams in the conference, Charleston and Towson. They got blown out by them right. pretty good. Against UNCW was a game they should have won, and UNCW is a team that's right up there with them. I love how that rivalry will form the next five or six years. No doubt. You, you get an immediate sense. Obviously, Charleston is a big fish that people love to play. But at Wilmington's that next tier, and especially with Campbell sports, you think baseball, you think soccer, even think volleyball. Those three have played every year. Yeah. And now basketball with their traditional Christmas week game, now this becomes a full-on home-and-home. And coming here for that CBS sports game, I mean, the atmosphere at Wilmington, just watching on the stream, 
there was great crowd intensity from that student Absolutely. section. Absolutely. But even Campbell people traveled to Wilmington. Yeah. And that animosity, that excitement, I think that translates back to home. And and what's nice about it too, we've searched for a rival in this league. I think one has emerged in Wilmington. Well, and they've played since 1951. That, that That's enough to begin with. But this was the 109th meeting and they've never been conference opponents. If you look back that many games, it's because when they were junior college opponents, they would play home and home every year because it's just two hours down the road. And then when they were in AI, they played home and home. And then even in Division One, they would play some home and homes. It's an easy two-hour drive. It's a it's a really good atmosphere. I want to say it's four right yep. turns or like yep. three left turns. You're right. You're right. You don't have this. No, no. You're you're saying that absolutely right. You, you can go left out of this part at 95. Then you go 95. Then you go 40. Take a left to get to 40. I think you take a right off the highway and then like a left to campus. Yeah. Yeah. You, you you get a little bit of Google Maps here with it as well, but but yeah, it's it's going to be a fun rivalry. Interesting though to note, UNCW State School they've gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. Eighteen thousand undergrad yeah. there. Also, what I think is going to become a rivalry, and and really actually, when you think about the schools, a similar school. I talked about Gardner Webb because they were almost the exact same. Elon, Elon uh, is a similar school, private. Not too far away from stuff, but a little bit in the middle of uh, of nowhere. The football element helps. And they've got a football team, and it takes an hour and a half to get to. Campbell played both those teams last week. That's what was Did fun. Did you not have a heart attack at the end of that Elon game? That was a lot. So that's a last-second shot. And then Delhi goes right down yep. the court. And we've talked about big moments for stars, yep. right? And Chris is a different tier of star. But the way Delorso— Chris Clemens, not me. Yes, go ahead. Well, you were great, too, Chris. I, I listened to the radio that. call. But the way Delorso took control of that last play, yep. gets to the basket, and essentially wins the game, that's something we've asked of Campbell. Late in games, we saw Drew Pember do that against us in the Big South final, make big plays when his team needed it. That's an element of Delorso who keeps getting better, and you say, who's your closer? Well, you kind of get a sense who the closer is now. There is no doubt. Uh, taking that ball with eight seconds left, putting it in to beat Elon, to sweep Elon, Great news for Campbell. Again, that's a that's an Elon team that's an hour and a half away. What I was telling people, and look, yes, next week we're going to have to get on a plane and go up to New Jersey to take on Monmouth and Drexel. It'll be a four-day trip. I understand that. That's different than the Big South. But last week we were on the road twice. Our guys didn't miss any class, and they and I was on the trip, quote-unquote. I called both games, well, and half, I didn't have to spend a night at the hotel. Half the league is a Big South travel schedule. Yeah. Right, from no Mary down, it is yeah. a Big South travel schedule. The other half of the league isn't, yeah. and that's the exciting part of it from an admissions and an eyeball and an opportunity standpoint. But then, yes, from a travel standpoint, that's tough on the legs. And we've seen opponents come here on those back-to-backs and struggle. So when you're on the road, you got to split. What, what I love to about Campbell men this year. And, and can I use the quote? Sure. So Kevin McGeehan said postgame, our team was tough as hell. Okay. And that's not always I been I didn't the know case you were going to say hell on air. But Campbell basketball. That team has been more finesse. Yeah. They've been more shoot threes and, and, you know, get opportunities. But they were physical. They were battling on the boards of Wilmington. They outplayed them for stretches of that game. Yeah. That's not a team we've seen in the past from Campbell. And that's a promising sign that they can compete with the best in the league. No doubt, no doubt, no doubt, and it'll be fun again taking on those those northeastern teams. Literally, the team 
It's called Northeastern. They're they're from Boston. That's another it's a huge public school. Like it is elite top one hundred public it's, school. Uh, yeah, it's it, it's a great academic school, and there is sixteen thousand undergrad as well. And Tom Glavin's brother, Mike Glavin's the baseball coach there, and they're in the top twenty five preseason poll. Very good baseball team. I'm glad that you that you brought that up. That'll be at seven o'clock on Thursday. Stony Brook comes in at two o'clock. They're out of Long Island. Man, one of the best mascots. Fifteen years ago. And one of the best mascots as well. They're the Sea Wolves. It's yeah. the wolf, but it's a cool thing. And and again, when they open up their broadcast, they show the beach because they are in Long Island, way up there. We that Lobster Stony Brook trip is always fascinating to me because Long Island, New York, it, it's hard to get to. But Not it's easy a really to get to pocket of the country. It is a Long Island, and it is uh, something that many people don't know about. And again, that's the that's the fun thing. Northeastern comes down here. Stony Brook comes down here. Two very good teams that we haven't played before, and um, it'll be fun. Like every CAA matchup is a thing. Um, you're 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 playing a team usually with some tradition from a school, and and the fact that we get to play these two. And you mentioned how the schedule goes out. Hey, I know Campbell is ready to put together a run. But again, we've talked about how they've overachieved right now, whatever has happened. It's going to tough the next few weeks. Look at things. Next week, going at Monmouth, at Drexel. Drexel is first in the conference. Monmouth has been right there in the middle. These two games, Northeastern and Stony Brook, what you do this week will go a long way to what you're going to do to finish 500 or above in the conference. Look, next time you're home, February 22nd, 26th, Taking on Hampton, but then you got UNCW, and then you're at the College of Charleston. You come back for NC A and T, so you really see how you know you got to you, you got to perform this week. I'm going to read between the lines. I'm seeing a lot of one and ones coming up, and the ability to go two and zero at home is is fantastic for your record. I think what we've also seen in this conference, I don't think you can pencil in a win or or a loss because both of these teams all of these teams that are left on the schedule have have high ceilings and um and you've also seen them you know kind of fall down as well and and I mean that's UNCW included so it'll be it'll be a lot of fun um on flow of course and uh, Lyndall Suggs will have live audio coverage for you you mentioned you you always seem to get baseball in somehow you told us about how stony brook has a good baseball tradition he came by the office to drop off some donations for the pitching facility over there and uh you were able to to see the coach and he's got to be really excited because his campbell baseball team again you want to talk about a half decade of excellence coming off a year when they were in the top 15 from the majority of the year they will get things ready um, we won't be on the air next week, but I'll tell you, we will be visiting with all of his assistant coaches on Camel Call Live coming up this Monday, 6.30 to 7.30 at the county seat. And I'm hoping when we post that live podcast later in the week that I'll also be able to sneak in a Justin Hare interview as well. They start the year with a bang. Next weekend, they'll take on UC Santa Barbara. If you're like, is that one of the good California schools? Yes. You're darn right it is. They're in the top 20 this year. The Gauchos have elite pitching, and their head coach has been a national candidate for the last decade. Andrew Chekids is his name. And what that program brings, they bunt, they steal bases, they get hit by pitches. It's a West Coast style of offense that you'd say, oh, that sort of mirrors Campbell five years ago. Campbell's added the power element and then the home run element. But those Gauchos, two All-American pitchers in the rotation, one starter, one bullpen arm. And Campbell has one of six All-Americans in the CAA with Lawson yeah. Harrell, who's a top 10 outfielder in the country. Pitching, a lot of new arms, a lot of new names, but a lot of talent. And that new pitching coach from Wingate is fantastic. Yeah, and, you know, I haven't had a chance to talk to Justin here yet about baseball. I usually wait till about a week beforehand when, when he's kind of comfortable with, with what he has. But talking to other people, 
um, around that program deeper than they've ever been uh, position player-wise, which is something that's pretty amazing when you consider how deep and how good they've been. And with new pitching, remember, with the transfer portal, with freshmen, with the, the kind of people that they're bringing in. I know you're thinking because of injuries and because of the draft and people that left, oh my gosh, is Campbell going to have any pitching? The answer is probably yes. Again, we'll know a lot more playing a good team. I, I love when you play a great team like this off the bat. And oh, by the way, on February 20th, after number 17, UC Santa Barbara comes in for a weekend series, it's East Carolina. So you'll know after those four games a little bit more about where you stand. Look, if your record isn't great coming out of those four, hey, it would uh, it was a it would be a really really good thing. Um, it would be a really good thing. But if uh, if you get beat up a little bit, hey, you, you know what you have to improve on playing against the best teams in the country. We have been spoiled the last two years with Thomas Harrington and Cade Keeler. You think of Friday night starters that have MLB potential and and draft acumen and bring scouts to the the prospects. So this year. The big arm, and and it's interesting, right? When you bring in a transfer, but Derek Vartanian, he comes in as a JUCO transfer, and he hits ninety five. Like this kid is someone they think will go to the next level and pitch. Maybe this year, maybe next year. So if you want to come to a game, I'd go Friday at what time is it? Five o'clock, three o'clock, whatever time Justin decides. But those games are cold, but they're exciting because like you get the bats out for the first time. Power arms usually dominate those first two weekends, and Campbell has good arms, so. If you want pitching defense, and I will say Campbell defensively could be better than ever before. And that was a little bit of an issue last year. We had a Max Weller in the outfield. He'll now move to DH. You had some rotational guys on the infield who were more corner guys playing the middle. Trent Harris really good up the middle defensively. That'll help. This team could be really solid in the fundamental side of the game. Yeah, no doubt. 19 of their first 23 games are at home. Ohio comes in here. UNC, ECU, Charleston Southern, Delaware, one of the better teams in there. So there is going to be a lot of baseball out at uh, Jim Perry Stadium for for the next month, and it all starts next Friday at 5 o'clock, Campbell, taking on UC Santa Barbara. This weekend, it's on the road, but our Campbell softball team, again, they have won the regular season and the tournament for three straight years. They are on a run that is uh, reaching almost as epic status as we've seen from the Campbell baseball team. And in the second year of Campbell head coach Trina Prater, uh, expect more of the same. They've gotten um, better depth-wise in their in, the in their pitching rotation. Yeah. And also with that, this year in the CAA, the majority of their weekend series have moved from a Friday and then a Saturday doubleheader to Friday, Saturday, Sunday, which could allow you to pitch someone like Bella Smith every single day if you need to. Depth and pitching is key. And as we've seen in this conference, even in the Big South, winning close games in the top half of the CAA with Delaware, who was picked first. I will say Campbell had more first place votes, but all the total votes and you add them up, pick second. And then Wilmington right there in the top three or four. Those are elite programs. And the challenge for Campbell now is, from an offensive standpoint, finding different ways to score. This has always been a great pitching and defensive team. Now, good news for them. They play Coastal right away. They play Syracuse, who's good. UConn, who's a Big East, traditional top four or five team. And then NC State with a new coaching staff. So you'll see right away two weeks in. And think about Bella Smith with her power five wins in the circle of the last two or three years. I want to say it's at least five. It might be seven. I got to check with Tristan Elledge on the numbers. But 
her ability to win big games, she has never been afraid of those moments. No doubt, no doubt at all. And they've they've challenged themselves with this schedule. It's a it's amazing what they're what they're going out and playing. And it starts going down to Coastal Carolina to play in their tournament Friday at three. They'll take on George Washington. You talked about Syracuse is going to be there a couple times. Then Coastal, and then the next week they'll go up to NC State to take on an NC State team that they beat last year. UConn and NDSU will be there. They return home for the Camel Stampede Tournament February 23rd. That's the bird through tournament. the 25th. They, ha- they should have called it the, right. the Camel Flock Stampede. <laughs> Incarnate Word, yeah. Eagles. St. Joseph's Eagles. Winthrop Eagles. There's a lot of birds flying down to Bowie's Creek. I know birds fly south in the winter, but do you have to bring all the birds down, Trina? I, I know kind of the beyond the game stuff you're thinking of there, but a lot of birds and eagles coming to Bowie's Creek. But there's more. Women's lacrosse starts up this weekend. You they, you they, gotta love crossover. They, they bring season. spiders. They don't bring gotta love. There's week. a yeah. They'll bring Richmond down noon uh, Saturday um, coming up. So before uh, you go out to the men's game, coming out to women's lacrosse, it is free. Again, huge challenge for a team that vaulted themselves to the top of the Big South Conference. They were one, two, or three in the Big South Conference these final years. Uh, Coach Don Easley has done an amazing job of literally building this program from scratch. And now they go into literally one of the best women's lacrosse conferences in the entire country. So they've challenged themselves uh, with this schedule non-con, and it starts uh, this Saturday at noon against Richmond. This is a game of shoots and ladders for women's lacrosse. So you climb the ladder of the Big South, you get to a couple finals, you play within a goal of Mercer for the championship, and you slide right down that chute, and no coach in the league gave them any respect, any confidence picked at the bottom of the league. Yeah, now, pick last. that's a great spot to be in certain regards. No one knows who you are. You have that upset mentality. And this is a senior-laden club. The last, like, three years with COVID, lacrosse has had 10-plus seniors. They bring back Sam Bischoff, an elite goal scorer, and really good in the draw circle. And that's just a feisty program. Yeah. And, and Dawn has built a grinded-out, girls are energetic, they're passionate. Like, that team's going to give their 100% best, and you never have to worry about that with them. Yeah, it's uh, going to be a full weekend. And don't stand near a goal with Don Easley or she will hit you in the face with a ball. <laughs> that's, Point being, I have a broken tooth, but I that's love a Don. Story, that's a story for another time. She not do that intentionally. Um, workman's comp check is in the mail, but um, I don't know if I'm supposed to say that legally. But literally, Evan Budrovich gives the blood, sweat, and tears. Sometimes people say that and they're doing it. He's literally gave blood, sweat, tears, and a tooth. Um, to this athletic department and this university. Oh, by the way, if you didn't think, we just talked about the plethora of games, matches, there's stuff at home, there's stuff away, there's a couple events going on, it seems like, every day. And then Sunday night at 6.30, Evan and I, who I I think still like each other pretty much. versus Team Swift (laughs) over here. With your Chiefs and my Niners. That's right. That's right. We both uh, are anything but bandwagon jumpers. Um, I uh, was born in Kansas City, so I I turned to all the Kansas City teams, and and including the Chiefs, like them, even before Patrick Mahomes was a thing, before Travis Kelsey was a thing, before Taylor Swift was a thing, indeed. And you, growing up in L.A., which it sounds insane, like— in, in the future, people will look and be like, wait a second. There was no football. You're telling me L.A. didn't have an NFL football team for that long, but they didn't, so you're a San Francisco 49ers fan. And Joe Montana was playing football when I started yep. watching, and Steve Young, so instantly shifted up the coast, and there you go. 
And it's uh, it was interesting because it's a deja vu all over again. So much has happened since then. Please don't tell me COVID's coming in the next month. Well, isn't 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 that amazing? When, when you know all of this stuff has been coming up. Of course, when the Chiefs won their first Super Bowl in 50 years, were in their first Super Bowl in 50 years. It was against San Francisco. It was literally a month before the world stopped uh, with COVID. And you think about. Wow, that wasn't that so far ago, but that has been so long ago. It, it, it's, it's amazing to see that part of it come up. But again, um, it's amazing to see that these two teams, it's like, come on, why do you have to put me and Evan against each other? Why can't we just have San Francisco in the Super Bowl alone so we can root for him, the Chiefs in the Super Bowl alone so we can well, root for him, but we're being at odds again. I was at your house, your parents' house at Keith Hills, the year before they made the Super Bowl when they lost in the AFC uh. title to Tom Brady. And Mag and Jer make a mean spread. They had great food in the house. But the disappointment of the Haymeyer family from a Chiefs loss. It's big time. That deserves, like, GoPros, cameras. So my documentary crew will come over if you want, if you guys want to agree to lose the game. And we'll film a Haymeyer reaction <laughs> with the kids, like, crying because they lost and Jesse corralling the family. And then, you know, since y'all won in 19, we can win in 24 you know, four years later and, and call it even. You know, the good thing is that will be that will be the one thing that if they if they don't win, well, one of the many things that, that'll make me feel good, like my first thought will be, well, Evan Evan is very, very happy. We decided last year, like, we didn't even talk about it this time. We, we decided the first time we met, it was like, it's not going to be good if we watch the if Super Bowl together because yeah. one person is going to be really happy. One oh, person yeah, is not. We're in the title game last yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Well, well, one person is not, so so we won't do that. Your thoughts on your on your San Francisco 49ers. How is this team different than the last team? Really good offensively. And I know people yep. have all the comments on Brock Purdy, but that guy knows where to put the football. And he's not, and let's be honest, he's not Jimmy Garoppolo, um, who who made some some big mistakes in that first game. And another fun part of this is Christian Juszczyk, the Kyle Juszczyk, the fullback, his wife, she makes these designer NFL jackets and sweaters and taylor swift has one yeah that was designed and along with mahomes wife so that part of it is like there's a pop culture element and olivia colpo christian mccaffrey's fiance she's not at taylor swift's level but in jenna's eyes my fiance sure she is a big time fashionista and instagram influencer you just dropped a lot of names there including your fiance um jenna which is amazing i i, I think that's a big thing too with the fact that it's a better quarterback and then too christian mccaffrey I mean, when healthy, which he has been for San Francisco, is one of the best running backs we've seen in the last 10 years. And he can catch out of the backfield. He can do so much. That That's an X factor that was not there um, the last time San Francisco was in the Super Bowl. Now, what scares me, and you saw that firsthand last year, is Patrick Mahomes, when the game's on the line, he can run around and make crazy throws and yeah. finds Kelsey over in the middle of the field when he's not open. Yeah. Their ability to convert third downs is uh, that's one of the best I've ever seen. Well, and it was amazing when you watch that too. You forget that was that was Patrick Mahomes' second year as a starter in the NFL, his first Super Bowl. He threw he, he threw a couple of interceptions. He he was not good early in that game. Campbell Trey or uh, the Chiefs trailed going into Freudian slip there. Back. The only two the, 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 the only two teams I truly love. Presbyterian <laughs> takes a seven nothing lead on Campbell in the first quarter. <laughs> the, the 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 Chiefs were trailing going into that fourth quarter. He engineered a comeback with with a couple of touchdowns, and that started the Mahomes magic, the Mahomes legend, and it's gone on from there. I'm gonna give you. And a lot of the uh, a lot of the listeners out there, there's been a lot of and look, I felt the same way. New England Patriots and the Chiefs are 
far from that so you're level. You're embracing the villain life is what well, you're Well, you, you're starting to hear that a lot more before. It's like, oh, man, this is great. You wouldn't hear that. I can't believe the Chiefs are in again. Now it's like even from close friends that were like, oh, it's so great that your team is winning. Now like, hey, we don't really want them to be in the Super Bowl again. Let me let me tell you this story of a of a boy from Kansas City that watched his Chiefs. We, we, we lived down the country, so we didn't have cable TV. That was before satellites and everything there. So really one of the only of my hometown teams that we could get was the NFL they would have your local team on every Sunday. So I watched a very bad Chiefs team in the 80s play. That was one thing. Nobody else in my family watched. I, I watched them. And then from 1986 to 2017, they won a lot of games in the regular seasons. They never really had an elite quarterback, so they would go to the playoffs a lot. They were 4-15 and 15 in the playoffs from 1986 to 2017, including Evan going 1-10 in, in the playoffs from 1994 to 2017, including, in that stretch, seven straight first-round playoff losses. So again, lots of wins in the regular season. They would make the playoffs. But these epic collapses, much like the Eagles or much like Dallas, but that happened every year uh, for about a decade and, and a half. Of the program, Alex Smith, quarterback of both our teams. You're darn right. <laughs> friend of the program, Alex Smith. Um, the Chiefs were in Super Bowl one. And then they, they won. Time. They won Super Bowl four. Remember what we're on now. I've lost count. It's somewhere in the 50s. Super Bowl four. They were not in the Super Bowl again until the 2020 Super Bowl, where uh, the, the the Chiefs won. And then the fact that they were in another Super Bowl loss, and then got in the Super Bowl again last year and won. I will say this year. I told myself after the Super Bowl last year, I said it cannot get better than this. I'm not going to care as much. I'm not going to make it a point to try to watch them every Sunday. I'm not going to get as invested in the game. That lasted for a little while. Then the playoffs start yeah. kind of like this. The, the, the one thing I thought this year when the Chiefs were going through so much with the offense, the difference in this Chiefs team than any of their other good teams here in the last five years is their defense is elite. Their defense is really, really good this year. And I thought if they could find a way to make it into the playoffs – and to find a little bit on offense, they'd be okay. I don't know if that means it's okay enough to 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 win the Super Bowl. That's a lot against a good team. San Francisco is favored, and and rightfully so. But Which but their defense I don't can agree keep with you. Vegas. They're putting us in a weird position here. Yeah, the Chiefs are clearly the the quote unquote. If you had to put two teams on paper, who you pick? I think more people are picking the Chiefs. Uh, I mean, it, I mean, it, it's the Mahomes factor. You know, I mean, this is this is to, to, does break. You know, Brock Pur Purdy is already not Mr. Irrelevant, but does he become one of the best stories ever of the fact of a guy that was drafted last that can lead this team that has had such a great defense for so long that can finally lead this offense um, into the Super Bowl? I would be surprised if it's if it's not close, but I can't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't bet one way or the other. Number one, because that would put my job points. in jeopardy at the yeah. at the NCAA. But 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 I think it's going to be I, I think it's going to be really interesting. And I tell myself, you know, if they, I, I told myself all through this playoff run, I'm like, hey, you know, you you never saw a Super Bowl. You've you've seen three with your team in it. You have uh you've you have two wins. It's okay, whatever happens. You know, ask me how I'm feeling in the fourth quarter if 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 it's a tight game. But but like I always say, like. You have you have those. Like they can't take those away. It's been an amazing run again for a guy that has seen his team fail in the playoffs the first forty years of his life and then have something and then be on such a national level. The the fact that Patrick Mahomes was a national brand and now Travis Kelsey is a natural brand, that's weird too. Like 
professional teams, guys from Missouri, they don't, they're not on the national stage. But Bo Jackson, probably the only one ever. And you have to go way back for that, the baseball and football star. So it, it's been a very surreal half decade of liking the Chiefs. Now. I can remind you of every time we've lost to the Ravens in the Super Bowl at the goal line, lost to the Seahawks oh. in the NFC Championship game on the Richard yeah. Sherman tip pass. Lost to the Giants in the NFC Championship game on the fumble rain out overtime game. Oh. Eli Manning beat them when they were 9-7, and seven, then beat the Patriots later that week. A Niner team that made the NFC title, and their quarterback lost his arm in the first quarter last year, and yeah, they really had no chance from that. So we've been the team that's always had great runs, made it to NFC. We have more NFC title trips than any team yeah. in the entire NFC. Second most Super Bowl appearances to the Patriots. And see, it's interesting in that perspective because in, in my mind, like you forget that you have gone through those recent playoff hardships. But remember, when I grew up in the in the eighties and nineties, San Francisco was was basically the New England, the New England Patriots, with of course Joe Montana and then Steve Young. They were the team everybody quote unquote loved to hate. But again, that's been twenty five years ago. Which makes us now all feel old as we think about that. <laughs> I, mean, I I feel old. You don't feel old. Good luck. Hey, uh, we'll talk to you on Monday. Good luck. <laughs> good luck to you. Hopefully, this is the last time I'm to talk hopefully, to you until yeah, the game. Hopefully one of us will be uh, back on on this podcast. And um, and again, like I say, um, at least for me, and I understand if it's not for Evan, if the, if the Chiefs don't win another Super Bowl, um, I'll be very happy for Evan because I know he loves San Francisco almost as much as I love the Chiefs. Good luck, my friend. Hey, I'm not going to bet on it till March 11th, but... It's a fun final month of no legalized sports betting. Uh, oh, my gosh. Yeah, that'll be another. Th- boy, that'll be a podcast. We'll have to put that offline. All right. For Evan, I'm Chris. Hey, thank you so much for listening. Those of you that are still sticking around through my 10-minute soliloquy on the Kansas City Chiefs. Have a great one.